Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Correct. It does seem like there are really smart people who try to figure it out and they still end up not believing in, in God. Or you can think about, you know, a 10-year-old in a, in a country where they've never been told about God, right? They, you know, it seems like they're reasonable and not believing in God. Yeah. How, do, how do you fit in, like, the classic agnostic, uh, the person who reasonably has doubt? Yeah. Could, could not. Is yeah. that reasonable non-belief? Or? Yeah, so it doesn't say reasonable disbelief. It's reasonable non-belief. So an agnostic would count as a reason. You know, they're someone who doesn't believe in God. They don't believe there isn't a God, but they don't believe... There is a God. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, who's the judge of reasonableness here? Good, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I wrote down my definition of this defense. It's the clueless defense. Uh-huh. <laughs> if I haven't figured it out, it must not be. Uh-huh. Good. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, so, so uh, it's, you know, I think here we kind of just go with our common sense notion of reasonable because, you know, there are lots of different. Um, um, you know, definitions of reasonable or something like that. But we say in, in sort of an intuitive sense, you know, people who are reasonably doing the reasonable best to figure things out end up not not believing, right? Um, yeah. I have one comment. You know, I think a lot of uh, gets into what's reasonable or not is kind of human conceit of what we think we know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that I've heard that, you know, don't believe do it from a scientific basis. There cannot be because we've proved sure. this, you know, the... This and that, and whatever theory you want to talk about, you know, we've, we've concluded there cannot be a God because it doesn't fit what you, you know, you're reading the Bible. And I think a lot of it is just our conceit that we think we know what we're talking about, and only God knows everything. Yeah, good. So there definitely are some people who are, you know, maybe unreasonably confident that, you know, science has shown that there can't be, you know, and that might not be reasonable, right? right. Um, but then there are also more cautious people who, you know, say, I really can't tell, you know, and... We might think, yeah, some of them are reasonable, um, you know, and they're not being unduly. I agree with you. There are, there are overly confident uh, non-believers. Yeah. The other question might be, uh, there was something that started this world, but I really don't know what that is. Sure. And then evolution and science took over, and and that explains everything else. Sure. I don't need a god to explain all that. If Phil Keener was the creator, I mean, that's okay, right? <laughs> yeah, so, so that's another what is what is it to not believe in God? So that person you're describing, they believe some something created the universe, right. but they don't but they don't know much about what it is. Right. So I think we would say okay, I think we would count that as a non-believer, right? Because they believe in something but they don't believe in the traditional God, right? The all powerful, all good, all the all the God. So so on Wednesday, I met Pastor Beck at a Romans. Colonial was big, and he brought his book, uh, uh, Augustine of Hippo, a uh, the uh, biography of him, and we we sat down outside and next to us was a with a gentleman about our age, and he noticed the book, and of course Pastor Beck, if you know Pastor Beck, he's gonna he's gonna you know engage, and it find turns out that this this guy. Was a was raised Missouri Synod Lutheran in Pennsylvania, went through confirmation, and um, became uh, a professor, taught physics or something, and um, 
So he, he challenged uh, Pastor Beck, and Pastor Beck said, well, you know, what do you do with the fact of revelation? You know, and at that point, the conversation was over. <laughs> he, he did not want to engage us at that level, that the possibility that God would, you know, reveal himself. So it's there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if, if they, they don't believe God or they deny that God exists, then what do they believe? Yeah. As some kind of a uh, guide in their life that controls them. Yeah. Oh, or like or like what we had a morality or something like that. Or yeah. yeah. So yeah, so there um there are a lot of atheists who believe that um there's just the objective moral law. And nobody made the moral law, but it's just there. Um, so in that that plays for them a lot of the role that uh, um, God would play for for us, right? Um, and uh, so I've actually written a paper arguing that it's hard to uh, believe in the objective moral law if you don't believe in God, because how would you know about it? How you know if you don't have someone who can tell you about the moral law? How would humans get access to it? So, but but a lot of them would say, yeah, that's where you get your meaning in life from morality, from doing the right thing. Um, that's what, that's what some of them would say. Yeah, and they would say, it's just, it's just there. It's, it's like math. It's just something that exists, and you can't, can't say why. You know? And you might think, well, that's just as arbitrary as you know, God's just there. Or something, you know? um, okay, so, okay, so let's go on to premise two. So most theists have thought premise two is the key premise that they need to know. So that says, if a perfectly loving God exists, Reasonable non-belief does not occur, right? So, you know, if God's really perfectly loving, then everybody who's reasonable will, will believe in God. That's, that's the thought. So why does Schellenberg believe that? He says, he, he gives these two points. Look, A, a relationship with a loving God is a great good, and B, such a relationship requires belief that God exists. So the thought is, look, if, if God exists then a really, really good thing, maybe the best thing for humans, is to have a relationship with God. And Schellenberg says, you can't have a relationship with God uh, if you don't believe that God exists. If you don't even believe God is there, you can't have a relationship with God. Uh, so a loving God would ensure that everyone's in a position to believe that God exists, so that they'll be in a position to get a relationship with God. But isn't everybody in a position to have God? Well, well, Schellenberg thinks if people are reasonably not believing, then they're not really in a position to have a relationship because there's this block, the fact that they don't believe in God, and they're reasonably not believing in God. Uh, it makes it, you know, there's evidence of God. There's still the right. block that's in between. Right, because if the evidence is not so great that it makes it unreasonable for them, if, you know, if the evidence isn't so great that, you know, that it's like obvious and you're irrational if you don't see it, then there's this block that's keeping them from, from having a relationship with God. Yeah. But they can still claim disasters or terrible things as an act of God. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. God in all this right. There are no atheists in foxholes. Sort of, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so, so you might be that the same person at different moments, even in a day. You know, they might at some points not believe in other points. You know, believe. Yeah. 
Well, one of this gets back to what we talked about uh, a couple of sessions ago about free will. Mm-hmm. You know, God gave us free will, right. and we don't know His purposes in anything. <laughs> we can speculate what we think He might have wanted. You know, perhaps one explanation is God gave us free will, and He gave us the opportunity to believe in Him. Mm-hmm. He hopes everyone will, but He's not going to force them to. Good. So, so, I think good. a lot of that, I think, just He's He's giving us free will, and it makes them extremely happy when we take that and acknowledge Him and do as He says. But so, are you thinking, really in a sense, sense, there aren't any reasonable non-believers because it's sort of their fault they've misused right. their free will? But is the block yeah. free will? Right. Is the block free will? Good, yeah, yeah, so you could say anybody who doesn't believe in God, either they're just irrational or it's their fault. And I think that would be to deny that there are reasonable non-believers. But isn't that hard to believe because don't we know people who seem like they really want to get the truth of it and then they still don't find it, you know? Um, well, like without doubting Thomas, until I see the yeah. hole and feel the right. holes, I will not believe. Right. And there's a lot of people like that. They right. want to, but... I've never seen, I read all these stories in the Bible, and just bright lights, and God, God talks to you from heaven. I've never heard that, so I can't believe it. Good, yeah, I've had people say, I would love it if God revealed himself to me yeah. or you know, told me he was real. But I don't, I don't see it yet. You know? Yeah. Doesn't, in some ways, for me, it comes down to how that person is defining this perfectly loving. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we spoke to that earlier. Is we, we're defining what perfectly loving means. Mm-hmm. Not allowing this God to define him or herself, we'll say. Mm-hmm. As for what perfectly loving, yeah. Yeah, good, I'm just yeah. putting this all out in the Right, good. So if Schellenberg's, his thought is, a per- if God's perfectly loving, then he wants me to have great goods in my life. Mm-hmm. And a great good is a relationship with him. Does that seem like, what do you think, is that a reasonable notion of perfectly loving? Well, I mean, right. right, exactly, and we have biblical evidence, right, you know, for this, right? Um, so if, if he's really perfectly loving, then he wouldn't put a block in the way, he wouldn't make it so too hard to see that he exists. But that a relationship implies obligation to one another, mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, I think that's where the definition falls apart for for a number two here mm-hmm. is because maybe I say, well, if you were perfectly loving, you would put no constraints on me. You would require nothing mm-hmm. of me in return. Just love me. Don't ask anything oh, yeah. back. Yeah. But that might not be good for you if you put well, no obligation. Okay, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, that's the whole point. How are you in a relationship when it's one-sided? So, I, yeah, I don't know... He's saying that the relationship would be one-sided. What, what he think, so I suppose, take Nell, you know, I love Nell. If I left her in doubt about whether I existed, you might think that's not a perfectly loving thing to do because it's good for her to have a relationship with her dad. So I shouldn't leave her in doubt about whether I exist because it will be hard for her to have a relationship with me if she doesn't even believe that I exist. So then the question Schellenberg asks is, why doesn't God make it obvious that he exists, so then people can choose to have a relationship with him. Yeah. This philosophy stuff gets into it's like it's what a problem because what humans do is they understand very quickly the implication if they accept the belief it's there, the Bible. Why the perfect God writes the book, he talks to some people, not to you, why should talk to you? But we very quickly see Oh, but if he's real, then I have to stop doing this, and mm-hmm. I can't have that, and I have to do this, 
belt. And if I don't believe in him, he'll go away. And I can keep doing what mm -hmm. I want to do. And his argument doesn't admit that his philosophy sets aside those kind of emotional selfishness things. But mm -hmm. all these people are selfish, and we very quickly, oh, then I can't, I have to put the precious, I have to take it off, and I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go into philosophy and hide from my sin. Good, yeah, so... I think he's saying, yeah, there are people like that. And the reason they don't believe in God, um, yeah, I think there's a philosopher, Thomas Nagel, who said, I hope God doesn't exist. I don't want to have to deal with God. You know, so there are people like that, right? Um, but then I think there are also people who, yeah, if there's a perfectly loving being who created the universe, I want to know about it. I want a relationship. And they can't find those people. But what do we think about this thought that you have to believe in God to have a relationship with God? Is that... What do you think? Is that true? So think about, you know, I remember this movie, movie, Angels in the Outfield, that I watched when I was a kid. And the kid in that movie prays, God, if there is a God, if you listen, you know, and then God answers his prayer. And I wonder, is that a kind of a relationship with God? So suppose he didn't believe in God, but he still prayed, you know, if you're out there. What is, is that a kind of relationship with God you can have without believing in God? Or do you need to believe in God to have a relationship with God? It depends upon what part of Scripture you plug in on that. John 3.16 makes it, if not necessary, almost imperative, whoever believes in Him mm -hmm. should not perish but have eternal life. But should, um, John 14, this morning, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. So, so is, is it, we, we say that yes, for salvation, it's necessary that we have a relationship with God that's defined in part by believing, not just in a generic God, but yes. specifically Jesus, right. see? So, so yeah. my question in Phil yeah. is um, Snellenberg. Uh, did, did I say that right? Schellenberg. Schellenberg. Yeah. Uh, who's his audience? Who's listening to him? Yeah. Uh, I've never heard of him before yeah. because I don't think the Christian community listens to this argument. Uh, so is it, um, is there a group of, you know, universalists, Unitarian Universalists? Are, are, are they the ones that would embrace him? Uh, who who is his audience who buys his books? So philosophers buy his books. <laughs> but, um, I think he's just trying to explain why he doesn't believe in God. So it's a personal. It's like here's here's my argument, yeah. and he thinks we should be convinced by this argument. Wow. But on your first point, I think you're right. So. We could reply to Sheldon and say, no, you could have some kind of relationship with God. Maybe the angels in the outfield kid has some kind of relationship with God. Or at least but, knowledge. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's not the ideal relationship. It's not salvation. Yeah. Right? So Sheldon can say, well, why would God put obstacles in the way of salvation? You know? Yeah. Well, I think in a way you're putting preconditions on this thing. Is you, have to have, you have to have belief to have a relationship. Uh, I know so many people that pray mm -hmm. that don't really seem to believe in God at all. Although they think somehow or another this prayer thing will work, mm -hmm. that, that it has in their mind no relationship. Did I, believing in God. 
Well, did I say that? Did no. you have to believe to have a relationship? Did no, I say no. that? I think you meant wow, because that's wrong. Okay. Woo! <laughs> that, I, I think the because we believe that when mm-hmm. when Dell is baptized, huh? Yes. Yeah. What do we believe at that point? Yes. We believe that there is a relationship. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like you're saying that we have to we have to believe in a God before we can do much anything else. Maybe don't um, so I tell my agnostic friends, I, you know, I hope you pray because I think that can be they can be building some relationship with God even now, you know, and hopefully that will help to help them in the long run. Well, yeah. right. I mean, I think we can too stringently define belief, mm, okay. you know, because um, you know I have a perfect belief in God that I am one with Him, and every step I take, I know that the Lord is there, and mm-hmm. I have no doubts. That doesn't exist in the real world. Uh, you know, all of our belief is imperfect. Okay? You know, e- even the strongest believer among us mm-hmm. has doubts. And so, uh, you know, I don't think you can take a definition here and say, well, if you have perfect belief, then, uh, then, mm-hmm. you know, then I can determine if God exists. Well, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. So... One one thing is, what does it take to you know believe you know whosoever believes? What does that belief mean? And that you know, and does that mean you have to be really really confident, or could it be like, you know, I'm going to act like this is true and hope this is true? And you know, what exactly do, do we mean by belief there? Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. I have a question. Back to basics. Yeah. Uh, you interchangeably uh, talk about atheists and agnostics. What's, What's the, the difference? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Definition and are these psychologists you're talking about an eclipse from one to the other? Yeah. Good. So, yes, yeah, so that kind of goes back to his question earlier. So, um, an atheist is someone who believes there isn't a God. They say there is no God. An agnostic is someone who says, I don't know. I don't believe there is. I don't believe there isn't. I just... It's like, I don't, you know... You know, I don't know if we'll ever get to Mars. I'm agnostic about that. It's not that I think we never will. It's just I have no idea. You know, you can think of it that kind of way. And yes, of course, people can shift from, from throughout their life. They can change their mind about, about these things. Yeah. There's another interesting thing which many Lutherans don't know about. Methodists believe in something called provenient grace, which in my way of thinking about it is the sense that every human being, when he's born, has at least a seed in there yeah, that can be nourished and come to that belief and that relationship. Yeah. So we would hope that whether you're an agnostic or an atheist or whatever, that that seems still there. Yeah, good. Yeah, and so maybe you can think of the problem as, why isn't there more of that prevenient grace? Why isn't it just like, <laughs> obvious that God exists? Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah. Good. I don't want to get too far off topic, but that sounds like Malaysianism re-gifted re- into some other yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is that is off topic, but I'll say one one thing. That's a topic. Right. Because I've been called Pelagian a few times, but um, <laughs> the difference is that it's it's God's grace. It's it's a type of grace given. It's not a natural power of man. You know. I think that's what we want to say. Is the yeah. Yeah. I don't hear well. Oh, sorry. I don't know what all's been going on, but. I'd like to read a couple of verses from Romans, and probably everyone knows what I'm going to read already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the first chapter, starting at verse 18. 
of Romans by Apostle Paul. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And that's from the Bible, the uh, ESV verse. Yeah, good. So that's a way you could say, look, the Bible says there are no reasonable non-believers. Anybody, yeah. Look at Romans. Anybody who doesn't believe, you know, they're without excuse because it was made plain to them, right? So that's, yeah. Um, you could you could go that way, but then think about that 10-year-old kid who's never even been told about God. Uh, it's hard. So a lot of people have wanted to interpret that passage as man as a, or humanity as a collective. You know, we as a collective, it was made plain to us. But was it made plain to each individual member? Not that 10-year-old kid, probably, you know, yeah. Okay, I, I need to put a plug in for next oh. week. I need to put in a plug for next week, Tom. Okay. Because next week we're going to take a look at the New Testament. And the, the man who wrote what you read in chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans struggles with the inconceivable that his own people, the Jews don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So so that that's going to be a, one of the primary texts that we look at next week, because Paul, he's just getting started there in chapter 1. And when he, um, and he, he does this wonderful stuff, and then finally he, he hits the wall at chapter 9. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at I next week. Come next week. You better come next week. Phil, I'm struggling with, you know, our whole discussion this morning assumes people have actually thought through this. And sort of take it back. My, my personal experience with people in my life that I've engaged with is that they exist. They react to situations in their life. They don't really think through some of these right. like eternal consequences in God. You know, they're right. just here. And how do I bend them in this right. sort in of... In the dis- reasonable, unreasonable... Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, because the reality is it's sort of like, eh, well, right. I, I got to go to work. You know, I right. mean, it, you know, they, they just don't... Even if they've had hard times in their life, right. it doesn't lead them to a self-examination of eternity and the yeah. things that we take for granted, frankly. Yeah, okay? yeah that's, that's a great question. Uh, and it, and it's, I'm not sure, and it might depend on the person person, right? Um, it might be that for some people it's reasonable to think, oh look, all the smart people haven't figured it out, there's many different religions, I don't, you know, it'd be a waste of time for me to try to think about this, yeah. so it might be reasonable for them to just go on and not think about it. But others, it might be, no, you should be, you know, you have an inkling that you should be thinking about it more or something, you know. Uh, 
Thank you. Yeah. Well, if we were just at the Hirschhorn Museum, modern, modern art yesterday, and one, one exhibit you'd love at Philbin was Absence as Presence. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm thinking, you had, I was intrigued by when you said the idea, this, this concept of the hiddenness of God has kind of come to the forefront more mm. in the last 30 years. And I'm just asking, is that because maybe of this postmodern mind that says, well, it's not all what you know, bricks and mortar, everything we can see and touch, it might there might be something out there that we don't know about, and that and mm. that's a lot of what postmodern art does—the blurring of a real scene to say what might be. Yeah, and, and yeah. so does the. Yeah, so I'm asking: Do yeah. you think that's why that's come up in philosophy more? It, it, could, it could be. It could be like the background that that led to it, you know. But um, I think the main reason is this guy John Schellenberg just wrote this book. Trying to argue that God didn't exist, for, you know, and and, um, and then a bunch of people tried to react to it. Um, but but it could be that that was why that whole scene well, why, happened. Why, why yeah. does he still then define himself as an agnostic? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think it's because he thinks this argument is pretty good. Okay. So it's enough reason to doubt, but not enough reason to fully. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Oh yes. My experience is so long, I'm going to keep this short. Uh, some people really don't think they need anything else. Mm-hmm. I was raised to think you're weak if you believe in God. Mm-hmm. You don't need it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the true. conceit of they're not reading philosophy, they don't right. care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a problem where I talk to very abnormal non-believers. <laughs> I talk to non-believers who have thought about it for years. You know, abnormal. I think there's a, a spark in humanity everywhere yeah. that there is something more powerful than themselves. Yes. Absolutely. You look at you know, yeah. Buddhism or some of the... Uh, Islanders in the South Pacific that they have gods that they attribute power to that they themselves do not have. Yeah. So the spark is there, but they just you know they miss yeah. the mark. Good. Yeah. And so yeah, you know, the, the, the question is is that spark enough to get you all the way there? Um, and you might think n- not in every case. Yeah. Um, I'd like to do a quick yeah. survey. Sure. Elizabeth admitted that she was raised in a home where belief was considered... They were so confused. One said he was an agnostic. The other one said she was an atheist. Or maybe. Mm-hmm. Are these your parents? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. How many were raised in a home that Who somewhat... Who had been church themselves and came with? Uh, okay. How many were raised in a home that would reflect Elizabeth's parents here? Uh-huh. It's really interesting. How many of you were raised in homes... Where God was taken for granted, scripture, prayer, all that, how many of you were raised in a home like that? See? So that's that's really, it, it, it's interesting how from childhood we are, and of course I want to have a conversation with you now. <laughs> no, no, I was saying, no, no, I always struggled, and as a college student, I broke the Thank God. Married my second husband, who was a Okay. All right. Let's let's go on. This, let's go on just the first section too. Uh, first of two sections too. So this this does response the problem. So this guy Dustin Crumpet, he actually graduated from William and Mary about eight years ago, and he teaches at Notre Dame now. So he's 
has a local connection. Uh, so this is his response that he's published. Um, so, so he defends what you call the responsibility defense. So he says, it's at least in some cases good, not only that we come to know God's reality and purposes, and come to know and appreciate them with the right intentions, but... Um, something else? Blame it on the, the baby again. Oh, so, <laughs> I'll just say the basic idea. The basic idea, which apparently is not on the handout, um, is that um, it's good if we as humans can be responsible for each other's relationship with God, for furthering each other's relationship with God. So it's good that the church as a community, for example, can play a role in helping people um, be to to have a relationship with God, right? So if God just like made it incre- like just you know waved his hands at every individual person and said, "Hey, I'm here. Believe in me. Have a relationship with me," then that role for the for the community or the church wouldn't be there. And it's good that we can be responsible for each other's uh, relationships with God, right? So that's that's the basic idea. And he says, if we are to be genuinely responsible for one another's spiritual development, there's always the possibility that we might neglect our duties to one another, right? So, um, if the idea is, why are there reasonable non-believers? Because God wanted us to be responsible for each other's spiritual development, each other's relationship with God. And sometimes we, as a, as a community, not you know, necessarily every individual person, have neglected our duties uh, toward others. And that's why. Uh, so God allowed for the possibility of reasonable non-belief to allow us to be responsible for making a difference. To allow us to be responsible for um, for um, each other's spiritual development. And then sometimes we as humans mess it up and then we end up with people who reasonably don't believe. So that's that's the basic picture. Yeah, what, do people, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. The head of the philosophy department of Concordia Irmine in a class once told that told the story that his granddaughter confessed to him that she was having trouble believing in this God. And he said, okay, so how about when we're in church next Sunday, you just let me believe. When we get to the Nicene Creed, it says, we believe. And I'll believe for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and just this idea that this community, what you're saying, this community can support one another with doubts. I mean, he, he wasn't the kind of guy that was laying down the law. He was offering her a way to wrestle with those beliefs and still remain within the community. Which is exactly what the sermon is about. I was going to say, really, okay, the sermon this morning. Isn't that really what the church is called to do? That's right. I mean, it's what we're called to do. Right. Is it, is it what we do? I don't know, but it's what we're called to do. Yeah. So the thought, the, 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 the thought here is we haven't done it enough. We haven't done it enough. Or as a, as a whole. Yeah, 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 I would suggest our current, today's culture 
fights against this notion, you know, it's sort of a, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, you know, and in previous times, you know, people would set aside a day for those community things, you know, they wouldn't work, they wouldn't, you know, do the farm, it was focused around the spiritual relationship, and, you know, you can even look at, I would suggest, some some other religions, you know, that are much more deliberate about about setting aside the time for this relationship building, this fostering within families, within communities, the, the relationship. And I don't know if today's Western society honors this notion very much, mm-hmm. you know, which fights against developing. I think there are substitute relationships. The elite eight. I mean, anybody who's following March Madness, yes. you, you immediately have connections with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to say one or two words, and you know if you're tracking with somebody or not. <laughs> um, you get this totally blank stare. You get, you know, you know, Virginia, you know, and all that stuff. So, so I think there's, you know, um, um, the communities that gather at bars. You know, we live right across the street from Cogan's, mm-hmm. the Irish Bar. I mean, that is a community. I mean, those people know each other and they support each other. It's, it, so, it, it's not necessarily church, but people, I think. Are looking for that kind of community. Yeah, I think what Mason is bringing in is a very important issue, and that's a cultural issue. Yeah. It says we are largely driven wherever we live by the culture. I mean, obviously, the problem in Jesus' time was the Jewish culture had a certain way of operating, and if you didn't stay within that culture, you were essentially rejected. Mm-hmm. It sort of said, if you don't follow our cultural norms, and what we what we believe, you're out of here. The three people in the sermon this morning: mm-hmm. the woman at the well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the woman caught in adultery, and Zacchaeus. But right, they were excluded. Right. Yeah. Good. So, so, so I think you guys get the basic idea. So one one worry that's been raised is: well, isn't a relationship with God more important than? the community being responsible for each other's spiritual development. So why would God sacrifice some people having a relationship with God just to let us be responsible? Why you know, why would God, you know, if it means, you know, that Zacchaeus, you know, gets excluded or somebody gets excluded, why would God allow us to have that responsibility? Because the relationship with God is just more important than this community uh, relationship. Uh, what what have people, any any thoughts on, on that? Um one thought I've had is that, well, maybe in the long run, um, uh, our relationship with God will be improved, say, in heaven, by having also be part of this community, right? Maybe it's better for us to be in a relationship with God, you know, you know, as a result of going through this community, or, you know, being part of this community. So, you know, it actually improves that, improves that, uh, that relationship. Um, Eleanor's presence messes my mind this morning, uh, because... Um, we, as parents, we have this extraordinary responsibility for this child that has been given to us to be, to be raised within. We are responsible mm-hmm. for that child. And that's, I think that's a, a primary place where that responsibility can be, left, can be lived out. And when it's not, mm-hmm. it's, it can be frustrating, even when that responsibility is lived out and then children choose to go Still, yeah. yeah, it's like, come on, God, what's going on? Everything I was supposed yeah. to do, and yeah. whoa. Good, and so a related worry is it's too it's too risky. Like, look, God, 
If you leave it to us, we might screw it up. Yeah. And somebody's eternal salvation is too big of a thing to leave to us because we might screw it up. Um, That's why we have pastors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, next page. Um, so, one way you can respond to that is by limiting human responsibility. Say, like, okay, God gives us some degree of responsibility, enough to explain why there are reasonable non-believers now, but not so much. So, suppose, you know, we do, you know, so one way to go would be universalism. Eventually, God's going to save everybody. Um, but you might, you know, for theological reasons, you might not like that. Another way to go is that God will give everything. Say, say the church let you down, and you didn't get an adequate opportunity to believe in this life. Well, then God might give you second chances in the afterlife, right? Um, but, you know, you might not like that. So, suppose you think, you know, no, all your chances end at death. Well, God, what God could do is right before you die, he could slow down time and give you all the experiences you need to have a, a reasonable chance to believe um, right before you die. Right? So there are ways God could limit our responsibility, right? He could not leave it entirely in our hands um, who, who comes around. So we, we have some degree of responsibility, but not too much, you know. Um, so it's, it might be kind of a, a, balancing, a balancing act there. Um, okay, so let, so any last thoughts about that response, the responsibility? Yeah. I have a question. Uh, yeah. Is this guy we're talking about the same God that the Muslims worship and the same God that other religious worship? That's a, that's a very good question. So um, I think most, so do you want to know like what philosophers tend to think or what? Who, what are you asking about there, I guess? Philosophers. Yeah, so most philosophers think yeah, we're talking about the same God, and just some people have false beliefs. You know, just like, suppose I believe that Phil, you know, wasn't a pastor, he was a, you know, uh, a tennis coach. I might still, we, and you say, no, he's a pastor, and I say, no, he's a tennis coach. We might still be talking about the same person, I just have false beliefs about that person, right? Um, so, a lot of philosophers would say, yeah, um, people who accept a false religion, they're still... They might still be talking about God, they just have lots of false beliefs about that being that they're talking about. Um, but then there are a minority of philosophers who think, no, they'd be talking about a different being altogether. So I guess there's no settled answer on, on that question. And that question should be yeah. the focus of six-week Bible study, <laughs> because that, that's such a critically important mm -hmm. question uh, as we think about our relationship with other faiths, mm -hmm. um, and where it becomes very, very touchy is with the Jewish people, because the God of Abram, one of our hymns is the God of Abram we praise, you know, that we, we acknowledge that the God of Abram is the God that sent Jesus to be our God, and then to, uh, to say that the God that the Jewish people worship is not triune God, because for Christians, the, tr the Trinity is kind of the, it's the standard, you know, do you believe in the Trinity? Jewish people don't believe in the Trinity, so is it the same God? So it gets, it gets very, very complicated, and that's why in our conversations with, with other people, it's, it's so important that we don't, um, today's sermon, that we don't yell at them, or give them the, 
Have you been to the sermon this morning yet? No. Okay, well, you guys are going to All this is going to make a lot more sense. So what I would want to say about that is not believing in the Trinity is like not believing that you're a pastor. They can still be talking about you and believing in you without without fully understanding what you know what you are and what you do. Okay. Yeah, so that's what I what okay. I would want to say there. He's um, not a tennis coach. He's not. <laughs> you know. You would know. Alright, I'm gonna skip a couple things. So let's go to C on the next page. Um, for sake of time we'll skip it. So here's another response. <clears throat> this response says, look, God wants God Schellenberg's right. God does want all persons to be in a certain type of relationship with him. He does want a relationship with everyone. And believing in God is necessary for that type of relationship. But believing in God isn't enough, right? Even the demons believe and shudder, right? Believing in God is not enough for that type of relationship. You must take, say, a further step of freely entering into a relationship with God. But look, there are some people who, even if they did believe in God, would not choose to enter into a relationship with God. Right? In fact, they're believing in God might make the situation work. They might say, well, then I hate God. Right? Yeah, suppose, yeah, take somebody who, they, you were talking about earlier, who has some you know, sin they really want to keep committing. If they learn there's a God, they might say, well, then God's my enemy. You know? um, and so it might actually harm them to come to believe in God at, at that time. Right? Um, um, so it, it could actually make the situation worse. For those kind of type of people to believe in God. Um, so God doesn't have a reason to tell those people he exists. In fact, he has a reason to stay hidden from them, at least right now. Because they would react badly and make things worse if they did believe that he exists. So God says, look, you know, say, say Joe is one of, you know, some person named Joe would respond badly if he believed in God. Well, God's going to wait. God's not going to reveal himself yet because it wouldn't help. Uh, to, to reveal himself. Uh, does that make sense? Um, so he says, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to reveal. reveal. It's like God of timing. Right. Right, good. Good. Yeah, and so one response here as well, but surely not everybody would react badly. Surely there are some non-believers who would say, oh, I'm, that's wonderful. I'm so glad God exists. Right. So the worry is it might not handle all cases. But it could still handle a lot. It could be that some cases, God's waiting because people would respond badly. So we can explain at least some of the cases um, that way. Um, here's a variation I call the ideal response. Uh, you know, uh, an ideal response variation. So um, maybe some people would respond well now. But, as you said, God's a God of timing. They would respond even better if God waited a little bit longer. So my thought is some people who would respond well, actually God's still waiting to reveal himself to them because they would respond even better a little while later. Um, so, yeah, it's not that we're saying, oh, all you non-believers, the reason you're non-believers is because you would react badly. Maybe they would react great, but they'll react even better tomorrow. And that's why God... Is waiting. Um, so that's um, 
That's yeah. Just, just help yeah. me understand this this waiting to yeah. reveal. Yeah. What what is the the reveal? Is it like yeah. all of a sudden boom? Everybody's seen it. Because, yeah. I mean, we know from Scripture that God has said, I have revealed myself. Right. You know, New Testament yeah, I guess revealed, revealed in the sense of making it really obvious or yeah. so obvious that they will come around so and believe. Is gone. Right. So think about, you know, I guess like the, you know, the extreme end would be St. Paul on the road, right? That kind yeah. of revealed. Right. Well, so you can think of, like, why doesn't God just do that for everybody? Why doesn't God just boom? Here I am, you know, uh, for everybody like that. So we are waiting to our deathbed. We love a deathbed conversion. Right? Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and so we're trying to find answers to that question, maybe. Right. And one is the responsibility answer. Maybe God wants us to be responsible for each other's spiritual development. And if God just does the, the Saint Paul thing with everybody, then we don't really have much. But, but the St. Yeah. Paul yeah. thing was he already believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. And he felt he was serving. Right. That God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the revelation was Jesus <laughs> there. Right. That's right. That's right. No matter how much I reveal myself, they will just live in my faith. They will just refuse. Mm -hmm. No matter how much evidence I give, and even somebody comes back from the dead, no, it's got to be something else, because right. I don't like that. Don't tell me that. I don't hear that. I think that's, I think the punchline of that parable is, he's saying there are some people that won't believe no matter how much I reveal myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not enough for them. Good. So yeah, that's another way, another version of, of the bad responders' response is like, look, there's some people who just wouldn't come around no matter what. There's nothing God could do to get this person to come around. Yeah. The healing doesn't yeah. really affect them at all. It's just going to end, right. and that's hard for us to deal with. But I think that's right. part of the same. Yeah, yeah, that is hard. That is that is hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a secular example. I was going along those lines, too. You know, after 9-11, there was a group of people that said that an aircraft did not crash into the Pentagon. It was all a conspiracy. In light of all the clearly empirical documentary evidence out there countering that, there, it was a fairly large group of people that were proposing that, you know? And but isn't there something God could do to get even those people to say, yeah, an airplane crashed into the Pentagon, you know? Like, God is so powerful that it's hard to think that he'd just have nothing he could do to get get these people to, to come around. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. I certainly think it's a timing issue, though. Jesus said, don't reveal things mm -hmm. throughout Scripture because right. it's not the time for them right. to be revealed. Right. So, yes, right. there's some support for that notion that, right. that timing is important. But most of the time they did. Yeah. He would say, don't reveal this. No, 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 no. There, there's us failing our responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I think that's something Schellenberg missed. Is he, he seems to think God would just be radically obsessed with everyone having a relationship with him right now. right? And, and we could think, no, God's playing the long game here. God's thinking about your, what's going to be best in eternity. And that might mean waiting, waiting a while in some in some cases. Um, yeah, good. 
Um, do you, okay, let's see. There's a lady that Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, don't you think reasonable people are sometimes, they don't want, they don't want to believe in Satan either. So it's not really, it's not all God. Like, I don't want the, mm -hmm. I don't want world and the, the evil to be, to Satan to have any power over mm -hmm. my life. I, I, a colleague posted an article about, um, Raising her child, raising one's child without the word sin, like, and and she liked that idea as a parent that, because she was raised, you know, so they're rebelling against. She was rebelling against her own fundamentalist, you know, sin. Mm -hmm. We are sinful, and she didn't want to raise her child that way. Um, so I don't know if that's. She's a reasonable person. Yeah, but. yeah. I think that's that's good for a couple reasons. So one, that might be an example of where the church failed, and then you end up with a reasonable non-believer. Maybe she's reasonably reacting against like, you know, too much of a you're sitting all the time being you know hit over hit over the head with that as yes. a kid or something. Yeah. Um, and second, um, it could be that you know fear is part of what keeps people from. Being from believing fear, you know, if I believe in God, then I have to believe in the devil and evil, you know, or something. Um, and and it could so that could so that could be and that could be reasonable or unreasonable fear. It seems like depending on the on the person. Yeah. But I promised Phil some time to. Uh, you want to say something about yeah, scripture I, and divine hiddenness? Right. Um, first of all, I want to say that this is probably the most disturbing aspect of being a Christian. Um, as we celebrate our own faith, we have to realize that there are people who do not believe. And that there are reasonable people. Clark Mill. Do you remember Clark? Uh, a dear friend in Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, attended church with Karen. Came to my new members class twice and still could not believe. You know, and, and we can multiply that. You know, why some and not others? Why me? You know, why have I been gifted with the gift of faith? Um, part of this class is to help us to be willing to face that reality and not to shy away from it, but to understand that these, um, and again, three people in, in the sermon this morning, these are real people, the woman at the well. You know, as Jesus talks to her, she becomes a real person. Zacchaeus, this the wee little man becomes a real person who has a house. The woman caught in adultery for all of that. So, so my hope is that um, that this class would at least give us some encouragement to think more, to think more deeply, to think about some of these things, to be willing to accept where people are, but then never to doubt the power of our witness, the very fact that we model it, and that um, and that we have along with our friends that we have some influence that we can invite them to come to church with us. And as you said, you know, Christmas and Easter are places where, where they can sense that community. And my hunch is that at King of Glory, you can't be around here very long without understanding that there is a lot of responsibility for each other, that, that we care for each other, and that this is a community that, that actually cares. Um, the last page, <clears throat> Dan subscribed to us, that's a... Uh, that's, that's a Latin phrase that is used in theology to talk about God intentionally 
um, hiding himself from from us to understand my ways are not your ways. Um, and um, for Lutherans, uh, the the gold standard for that is the Heidelberg Disputation in 26 are the ones where he crystallized what Lutherans say is their understanding of where God is to be found, where God is to be real. It's a theology of the cross. And that is a radical uh, radical departure from where we, by default as human beings, seek God. We seek God in glory, in success in miracles and and in freedom. Uh, and yet, the New Testament is very clear that God is to be found in His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That, 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 that God's power is made perfect in weakness. And that is where um, God's um, Holy Spirit can work within my life to make a difference that I can see God even in the midst of God's absence or in the midst of God's silence. If you're interested, um, the uh, the movie Silence, that's the name of the movie, is is a movie uh, that came out a couple years ago that is a story of Jesuit priests who came from Portugal to 17th century Japan to look for their uh, professor, their mentor, who word had gotten back that he had in Japan, he had apostatized, that he had gone back on his Christian faith. And these two young Jesuits go to Japan to find him. And immediately, they themselves come under persecution and see horrific things. And that's silence. You know, God, why Why does God hide himself? Why is God silent? Mm-hmm. Why, why is God absent? And that's why this, uh, and that movie uh, is, is, uh, directed by the same one that did The Passion of Christ, and I can't think of his name. Who? No, Gibson. No, no, Gibson. No, Gibson. No, Gibson. No, Gibson. Some of these arguments can be affirmed. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I would like to recommend that. And then, um, again, in Scripture, again and again, God chooses to hide himself. Um, the um, Jeremiah. I mean, what Jeremiah went through, Job, what Job went through, you know, in terms of God uh, choosing to, to show one side of his face and at the very end of the book, another side of his face. So scripture abounds with instances where God chooses to hide himself, to not make himself, always with the final outcome that God does come and reveal himself. And that's why the long the long game is so important. And that's why if you come back next week, as we take a look at Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, there's some very, very interesting things that we have to struggle with. So...
concluding comments? Uh, no. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Any, anybody concluding comments, encouragements, or um, for for us as we continue on? Yes. I think it's a comfort to me personally to be able to talk about this kind of stuff with a group like you all who also have faith and my doubts don't ring against the wall and come back to me. They go through your thoughts and your hearts and then come back to me. And that's that's another plug for community. Last page, closing prayer. Together. Bless the Lord. Who has called all holy scriptures to be written for our learning? Grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost. Ever one God, world without end. Amen. Um, a week from Monday at Panera at 530. Um, we want to throw it open to anybody who wants to join us as uh, Phil and I will be receiving feedback to help us plan the last session. As you see in the outcome, we don't really have a plan for the last session. We hope to do that a week from this tomorrow. What yeah. questions that we have we not discussed that you really yeah. want to cover? Yeah. And then next week, of course, we're going to deal with the New Testament, which is, I think, you know, really where we need to settle in if we're going to let the word, the word, speak to us on this particular issue. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.